Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Got it. All right, let's start here. Hello and welcome to the Addicts Anonymous podcast. I'm your host, Jamar. Today we're going to be interviewing Jamie D. How are you doing this morning, Jamie? Doing good, Jim. Doing good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, definitely happy to have you. So let's dive in. Tell me sure. a little bit about growing up. All right. So growing up uh, was, uh, wasn't here. It wasn't easy. So I'm the oldest of, uh, of, uh, of three. So I've got two brothers, uh, Mike and Steve. Uh, so growing up, um, my parents worked a lot. So I was kind of always uh, kind of left on my own, right, with uh, babysitters, that sort of thing. Uh, my mom had her own business. So uh, like I said, I've, I've, I was always by myself. Uh, uh, not really a lot of friends when I was younger. So needless to say, I would get myself into trouble um this kind of started as early as the age of like four or five i would i was living in uh, downtown ottawa um and i would just go about my day you know hop on my my bike and you know uh basically go out and get in trouble i'd go down to the local rink and kind of where the teenagers used to play uh hockey uh, a lot of was, uh this was at four I, or five years old you said yeah yeah wow, so, that's yeah. ridiculously young yeah, yeah. So I was very young and I was out, I was already out there, right? I mean, doing my thing. Um, you know, it was, it was kind of a safe neighborhood. Like I wouldn't leave the neighborhood, like let's say within like six blocks. That was kind of like my area. Uh, but I, like I said, I started getting in, in, in trouble very early. Um, I used to go down to the local rink, uh, you know, where the teenagers used to play hockey and I'd be out there on the side and, you know, yelling and, oh, you guys suck. And, you know, the, nothing really phased me. And as far as fear, I don't think I ever really had any. Uh, so, you know, it got me into trouble and not going to lie. Uh, many times I did get, you know, my head punched in growing up uh, just because, uh, you know, uh, being a bully. But a lot of times uh, I ran into the bully and uh, yeah. I got taught a lesson. Right. But, um, you know, and as far as. Now, now the question uh, is, did you learn your lesson? after you got beat uh, up or did you go right back for more you know it probably took me till i'd say probably till the age of like 32 32 35 before i actually learned my lesson of uh you know keep my mouth shut and and just be nice right just be nice you know be humble um uh, you know i like so I, I i struggle a lot with that um growing up also because uh, my parents worked a lot. My parents were also people who liked to party a lot. So being young, uh, a lot of people used to be over. So when it came down to alcohol, uh, drugs, uh, you know, smoking, uh, either whether that's weed or, or cigarettes, it was always around me growing up. Um, so, I mean, I remember uh, when I was like six years old, uh, you know, before I go to school, I'd wake up you know the counters uh uh were just completely filled with beer bottles like empty beer bottles all over the place so a morning uh routine for me before school would be wake up 
put all the beer bottles in its, in its case, kind of tidy up a little bit. Uh, and then my little brother, Mike, uh, before I go to school, I would basically, uh, you know, grab him, change his diaper, uh, put him in his, in his uh, high chair, give him his bottle and his food, and I'd be off to, and I'd be off to school, um, you know, again, six years old, and I was kind of being the parent, so. Uh, that must have been rough. You know, yeah, it was rough. I mean, mm. you know, being young, I never really thought anything else of it, right? I, it's not like I'd, you know, sit there and be like, wow, like my parents are really irresponsible, that never came to mind because uh, they know. just party or do they have addiction issues oh yeah yeah oh yeah it was addiction issues full-blown yeah so my parents uh always from from what i can remember they they were always heavy drinkers uh, uh they you know smoking cigarettes and i remember being young smelling the you know what we you know what we know uh, now is weed uh back then i didn't know what it was but it definitely you know smelled a little different uh so you know, that was kind of always around. Uh, and then I'd find it, you know, I'd be like cleaning up and then I'd find particles of hash and stuff, you know, in the house. And again, being young, not knowing what it was. Um, uh, but it didn't take too long before I started experimenting. Right. So when it came to cigarettes, I remember um, being given a note. So back in the day, a long time ago, you could go to the store and buy smokes for your parents with a note. So my <laughs> folks, right. So my folks would give me a note. I go to the store. Uh, you know, I, I get the cigarettes. The good old days. Um, and I, yeah. And then I bring them to my folks or whatever. And then I don't, I think it was around eight years old where, where I kind of had my first cigarette is uh, basically, you know, took one out of my mom's pack and went outside in the backyard and lit one up and I smoked. And uh, I'm not gonna lie. I was sick. The first, uh, the first cigarette I had, um, uh, I was pretty sick from that. Uh, but it didn't take too long. I think by the age of 10, I was kind of smoking off and on, you know, I steal cigarettes out of my mom's pack or my dad's pack, um, you know, going to school, uh, you know, smoking uh, during the lunch hour, kind of hiding in the schoolyard because nobody was smoking, but you know, here I am, you know, yeah. the guy, uh, you know, <laughs> early stages of, of addiction, uh, smoking a cigarette, you know, 10 years old. And by, by 12 years old, I was fully, you know, smoking, like I, I, you know, I'd be going to buy smokes from my parents. And at the same time, I'd be buying my, myself a pack. And, uh, and then not too long after that, it was, uh, got into the weed, uh, smoking weed and then alcohol, alcohol was basically, uh, again, because I couldn't buy it, uh, was basically stealing, stealing it from my parents. So what age was uh, the weed and what age did the weed and alcohol? I was, between 10 and 12 is when I started. That's when I started experimenting with it, uh, you know, here and there, not really getting into it, uh, but, you know, trying it out. Like, example, uh, like my parents, from what I remember, they had a huge bar. So every bottle you can think of was on display. So what I would do is grab a bottle of vodka, uh, you know, pour it in a, in, a, in a juice cup. So, you know, I take my share of the, of, of the vodka. And because my parents had caught me at one time, they had caught me at an early age. So what they would do is put little lines on the bottle to see to see the level of, of the of the of the of the alcohol, whether or not it was taken some or not. But I figured out a pretty quick way to uh, to get around that was to put water. So I would take I would take the vodka out of the bottle and then replace it with water and then put it back in the bar. So for the longest time that was working, my parents never knew I was taking the booze and I was going to school like 
buzzed out, you know, like we're talking 12 years old, 13 years old, you know, taking, you know, a few drinks um, before going to school. So you're um, at school, you're at school drinking and smoking. Yeah. Wow. Drinking and smoking. Yeah. Um, you know, and came, you know, like grade four, grade five, grade six. Uh, same thing. Although, um, because I, because I got in a lot of trouble being, uh, when I was younger, uh, not many schools wanted me. Like I, I remember, uh, the first time I actually got kicked out of school, uh, I should say expelled, uh, was I had pulled a prank on, on, on students. So, uh, one, one uh, day I, uh, I had asked to leave the class to go to the washroom, but instead of going to the washroom, I went in the hallway, I opened up all the lockers, took out everybody's lunch that were in like paper bags back in the day and put all the lunches down in the hallway. So the whole hallway is filled with everybody's lunches. Um, I got in a lot of trouble for that. So I ended up going to the uh, principal's office and, uh, for the first time, and I don't even think it was actually legal at the time, but I experienced, uh, the strap so the leather strap right so I had another teacher uh with my hand on the desk and I was given like 10 wax with a large leather strap as my punishment for what I did and then on, your, on your hand they, they on my hand. hand yeah so you know hand out on the desk and just laying it out there so that was the first time uh I have to say where I actually let's say it was, it's assault so first time I kind of got assaulted by an adult because my parents had never ever laid a hand on me um so that was my first experience with getting this trap but at the same time that was that's when i basically had no more respect for my teachers uh, and authority i Did lost your parents know about this oh yeah oh they fought they fought about it uh, they tried to um uh, they basically tried to sue the school but what ended up happening is after that incident where i got the strap i ended up getting expelled um, and my parents tried to get me in other schools. No other school, uh, would accept me. So I ended up being, uh, put into this school called, uh, I think it was called Bonaventure in Ottawa. Uh, it's a special school for, I guess you could say bad kids. Um, and I was put in there for about a year, uh, put on meds, whether that was Ridland. I can't remember the meds that I was on. Uh, but it was, it was a pretty, awkward situation um you know i would go to i get picked up by a, a a taxi like a cab my own taxi bring me to school uh they would give me my meds and wasn't really learning anything it was kind of a weird um it kind of a weird place where we do some learning but it was mainly uh like some kind of obedience school the teachers were ex-police officers um hmm. yeah and anytime let's say i was uh mouthy or I didn't want to listen because I had a hard time uh, with authority. Um, um, I just, yeah, I still do today, but getting, getting better with it. Um, I, I remember, you know, if I wasn't listening in class, uh, the, the teacher would basically grab me, uh, grab my hands, put it behind my back like this, pin me to the ground and then lift my hands up to the point where like they were behind my neck. So, I mean, obviously, that hurt it felt like my arms are snapping so I went through that for about a year with that kind of treatment with with the teachers uh, in that school um, that really messed me up after that uh, it was a year I was in there uh, got out of that uh, then my parents put me into the Royal Ottawa for treatment because they thought that it was they thought it wasn't all there which 
really I was, it was, I think it was just mainly because I was always alone. Um, you know, again, to this day, I, I still don't know why I was the way I was, uh, but I went to the Royal Ottawa. They did all these tests. I remember doing, um, they were testing me my sleep, see what my sleep patterns were, uh, you know, what kind of, uh, uh, dreams I was having under certain meds like it was basically for me it was like a guinea pig like some kind of a, a weird experiment uh, at the Royal Ottawa um, so they did that I did that for about a year and then uh, my parents uh, finally took me out um, and, and finally got me back into a, a normal school and that was uh, for grade five uh, so grade five I was basically integrated back into a normal school where I could uh, you know uh, learn again and be around uh, you know normal kids so that went well um, for quite a while until I hit high school. Once I hit high school, uh, <laughs> everything kind of fell apart again. Uh, yeah. You know, yeah. So uh, that's where the drinking, you know, more drinking started. Definitely uh, was full blown smoker. So you know, do you smoking. remember? Do you remember how much you were actually drinking? Uh, it would. It, it wasn't much. Like a couple of beers a day, right? It wasn't much. Uh, and I wasn't, again, I, I, I couldn't buy it. So I was just be taking it from my parents because my parents always had booze. And well, you can, you so much. consider that it's a lot for a kid. Oh yeah. Right. So it was, you know, a couple of bottles here. Um, and then, uh, you know, let's say we're on the ages of 15, 16, uh, me having a good time with my friends was basically going out drinking. Um, I wasn't old enough to go in the bars. So we would go to bush bashes. I'm sure, I don't know if you ever, uh, back in the day, went to bush bashes where a bunch of kids hang out in the bush, you know, with a bonfire, everybody's drinking and partying and, you know, some guys with their girlfriends, you know, making out in the, in the bush or some guys, you know, sleeping in the bush. Uh, uh, some people sleeping overnight because they got hammered. It was, it was, I mean, it was fun, uh, but that was kind of like my, those were kind of like the gates opening up for me for, you know, my, my drinking problem. Cause uh, uh, for me, it was, it was fun. I mean, I, I liked it. Uh, you know, uh, it wasn't affecting me in any other way uh, for me. Drinking was, was fun having a good time. And, and that's what I grew up uh, learning and, and watching from my parents, right. Seeing people party, having a good time drinking. So, I mean, that's kind of like what I people realize. Oh, sorry. I don't, I don't think people realize how much, their parents influence what they do absolutely 100 percent. i mean you, you, you learn you know, almost I, everything from them yeah like i um if i even today like i don't get along uh, very well with my parents um but even today like right now if i were to uh, you know randomly wanted to have a conversation with my parents today and be like you know um you know me having uh, my issues of drinking and smoking i'm like you know like i kind of learned that from you guys they would be like, no, you know, don't talk to us. Don't ever call us again. How dare you? Um, you know what I mean? Like, so they will, they would never accept responsibility uh, for the fact that I learned all this stuff from them. Um, you know, and I was always brought up. Um, uh, they always told me like, they didn't have to respect me. So my parents always brought me up telling me that they did not have to respect me but I had to respect them. So growing up, you know, yeah. So growing up, seriously confused, like, okay, so I have to respect you, but you don't have to respect me. That's kind of like how I was brought up. Same with my brothers. It was the same, uh, same, um, 
teaching mechanism that uh, that I again I even to this day I still don't understand um, what and why. Um, again, they are addicts. I mean, they drink all the time. Um, even every recently, day? oh yeah, every day, every day, this, whether it's I, I met I met until this day. Like they still drinking? Oh yeah, oh okay. yeah. So um, so I'm 13 months sober now, um, and uh, even now, like I. Like when I got out of treatment, uh, you know, I, I had said, you know, yeah, I, you know, I did 30 days. I'm sober. They never, they never said anything like, you know, oh, good for you. Um, you know, they, they, what they actually said was, oh, so, you know, um, I don't really think you're an addict, Jamie. Like if you come over here, like you can still have a couple of drinks. Like you just, you have to, you have to control it. And I'm like, no, you don't get it. Like I'm an addict. So if I start drinking, I'm done. Like I can't stop. And, you know, even now, like, again, if I were to call my folks right now and be like, you know, uh, you know, I, and I'm 13 months sober, it's great. They'd still be like, ah, yeah, but it's fine. If you come over, it's fine. We can have a couple. And it's just like, yeah, no. I remember so, at a party I was at, somebody said that to me and I was like, nah, I was like, I, he goes, you know, no, just, just have one, you know, it won't hurt. And I'm like, no, it will hurt. <laughs> you can't you can't just have one um and you know and now i don't even like i haven't seen my parents in uh, let's say about um, like two years uh because of covid so because of covid couldn't you know couldn't go over and do the visits and then uh since i got out of treatment i haven't had the, the urge or want to go and see them because i know once i get there it's party on and you know it's it, it, you know if they if if they wouldn't put me in a position where they were like hey jamie you know here just just have one or here i got so, you know here's a drink no so they can't just put it away for one night while you come over no no not at all i don't get that kind of respect at all right they never really they never had to respect me that's how i was brought up so they couldn't do that um as much as they would want to uh let's say want to see me um, I could go there and no, out of, there's no respect, you know, instead of saying, you know what, Jamie, we won't, you know, we won't drink tonight. Come on over. We'll put, you know, we'll put the booze away. So I don't even see it when I walk in. That's not possible. Um, I'd have to go there and um, I, I, I would drink. So I don't go So my boundaries. Obviously I had to set some boundaries, um, which I learned in treatment because honestly I had no idea what boundaries were. Um, so I learned that in treatment. And uh, I have a lot of boundaries now. And uh, one of them is, yeah, like I won't go and see my folks because it's a, uh, that's a huge trigger. Like I know 100% I go there, um, you know, I may last maybe an hour, an hour and a half, uh, but you know, I'll end up giving in and all this hard work. Uh, it's just, it's just not worth it at all. Um, again, being an addict, right. I mean, if I start that first beer, I'm done. I'm, I'm, I'm back at it, you know? So uh, it's, uh, it's not good and uh <clears throat> drinking like i i mean i i own a business right so i've, I've been self-employed uh for quite a long time uh but i'm known as a functional alcoholic so even though um i work and you know still pay all my bills and all this stuff and support my kids um still an addict um you know and uh a very expensive habit <laughs> yes yeah. yes it is yeah, yeah. That was my problem as well as I was a functioning act. I always had a job. I had a car. Um, yeah. But there was a point where I didn't have a car for like five years because I did get a DUI. Yeah. I, uh, I crashed my car on the main strip of like the Jersey Shore. 
Yeah. So like the main strip is where a lot of people are walking around during the summer and I crashed my car there drunk like an ass, you know, like a big well, ass. Yeah. yeah. Well, at least you, you made it because, you know, many people, many people oh, yeah, don't consider exactly. those situations. Exactly. People don't yeah. realize how lucky they are. Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing, there's seriously nothing good about drinking and there's nothing good about any addiction and an and addiction, um, it's scary like uh like i already suffer from anxiety so um when it came down to the point where um because i would drink you know every day after work or finish work uh, as soon as i was done work let's say get uh, get home or because i excuse me i run the office out of my home as soon as i get home crack the beer you know it's let's say noon by like five o'clock i'm already on beer 13 and by seven now i'm into the wine and by 11 o'clock two bottles of wine are gone 13 beers that's that's like an every day uh every day that, would, wow. that was every day right 13 beers and I, I remember uh having to go see my doctor i had a doctor appointment and i had my wife with me so we went down and um anyways he he did a check and he was like so how things are going i'm like pretty good and he's like uh is there anything you want to you know talk about i'm like well yeah i i, I got a i think i got a drinking problem he's like oh um he's like and can you tell me about that i'm like yeah he's like so how much do you drink like typically i said well basically a 12 pack of like king cans and a couple of bottles of uh, a wine a day and he like dropped his pen and turned around because he was writing and he's like a day and i'm like yeah he's like wow he's like you need help he's like you can't continue this this is this is not going to last for you and I'm like, uh, and he's like, are you still smoking? I said, yeah. He says, I honestly don't care. He's like, I would rather you continue smoking cigarettes than, you know, than drinking the way you are. He's like, you, you really have to stop. He's like, cause you're not going to make it. He's like, that is, that is crazy. Um, it destroys your liver big time. Yeah. So a year goes by, you know, still drinking. And then, uh, and then eventually, you know, last year, January uh, 14th, I put myself in treatment because I wanted, I was at a stage now that I was waking up in the morning, you know, wake up at six 30 and by seven, I'm already drinking my first beer because I was shaky. And it's a weird, it's a, it's a really weird feeling. I um, uh, never had to deal with that because I mean, even though I, I was always drinking um, I never really woke up and started drinking. So this is when I realized like, you know, like, wow, like I'm in, I'm in deep shit. Like I'm, you know, like I need help. Like I'm waking up and I'm starting to drink now when I wake up rather than, you know, do some work, I know. And then come back at, you know, at noon, you know, and then start drinking. It was basically, yeah, wake up and drink, you know, still in my pajamas and I'm already having a beer cracked open. I was like, okay, I, I got to do something about it. And, and I did, I, I, I called around, um, found a couple, you know, looked at some treatment centers, and I called one that was a Thousand Islands a Treatment Center in Mallorytown, um, $20,000 for 30 days. I didn't even think twice. I, I, I mean, I have the money because I'm uh, self-employed and my business does well. Wait um, one second, though. I thought yeah. I thought in Canada, you guys have free um, health care. That, that's not considered health care? Yeah, there's, there's free, um, there's free uh, treatment centers available. But uh, these are ones that are um, open door, I guess you could say. So anybody can go in, right? 
right? So you're getting um, people off the streets, you're getting all kinds of people, right? So I didn't want to put myself in, in that kind of um, environment, again, because I'm a businessman, and I kind of really have to watch um, who I was, who I associate with, um, you know, who I basically give my number out to that sort of thing. Uh, cause I have a, you know, I got a big company, so I have to, uh, watch myself in that way. So I decided to go, um, in a private, uh, facility and <laughs> it was 20 grand. Um, you know, I get a little bit of a kickback from it, uh, when I, uh, when I did my taxes, but I mean, at the end of the day, 20 grand, it's nothing compared to what I was spending um, uh, on my addiction, right? I mean, I, I calculated, uh, actually, I did this a few weeks ago, and I was spending about 60 grand a year on cigarettes and booze alone. Wow. So, yeah, 60 grand a year. So I figured, you know what? Seriously, what's 20 grand? Because once I stop, I'll have made all that money back within three years. The third year, I'm in, my, I'm in profit mode now, um, you know, for my addiction. So as long as I stay sober, I'm in profit mode. So, I mean, 60 grand, I mean, that's like a salary for most people. So if you, I have an app that on the, on the app, it actually will tell you, hold one second. Yeah. Apologies. No worries. So, um, yeah. So when was the first time you realized you had an addiction problem? Like what age was that? Uh, that's a, I know, I know you went recently, but what age was the first time? I'm not saying when you actually went to treatment, but did, did you have a certain point where you're just like, Oh shit, I'm, I'm an addict. Like I, I'm an addict. And I, I, there's no, uh, there's nothing else to describe you, but that word. Yeah, I, I would say, I would probably say when I was, by the time I was 30, I think by the time I was 30, I was, um, I was pretty much an addict because I was, you know, I was drinking, you know, bottle here, bottle there, drinking the, the 12 pack and it was pretty consistent again, functional, but that's when it, it became a, 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 con, a consistent thing on, on a daily basis. And that lasted till, you know, till I was basically, you know, 46 years old. So we're talking 16 years of, of, of consistent um, drinking. Um, and then prior to that, you know, again, I started experimenting between ages of eight and 10. Like in all, I got like 46 years, no, sorry, uh, like 26 years experience dealing with alcohol and drugs. Drugs, not so much. I mean, I smoked my weed. I stopped. It didn't, it wasn't really for me. You know, uh, tried Coke, um, did steroids when I was younger because I was training. Uh, but that's it. I, I never really got into that stuff. I, I tried more or less tried it. And I was like, yeah, you know, good time, but you know, not, not for me. Alcohol, not so much. Alcohol, uh, alcohol was my, my DOC for sure. It's, and it's so easily accept, uh, uh, it's so easy to get it. And it's so, um, and it's so acceptable in society. And I think that's the biggest, the biggest problem with alcohol. Um, and even for me, it's just because it's all around. Um, so, you know, when you're drinking this stuff, you don't feel like you're, you're doing anything wrong because, Hey, everybody's doing it. So what's the big deal, right? Yeah. <laughs> I say to people, the next time you watch TV, yeah. just watch it's everyone's drinking. Everybody's yeah. drinking at all times. Yeah. Whenever there, whenever there's a good time involved, people yeah. are drinking on TV. Yeah. 
yeah and i and i i and you're right i have noticed that more especially since uh i've been sober um i do notice it uh, every time there's kind of any minor celebration on tv it's always you know here comes a glass uh yeah. you know it could it could be even a you know uh you know a nice you know a nice couple uh you know they they went to church seriously they went to church they come home and then the bottle of wine comes out it's all like a, it's just weird how how it's um how it's like on a tv and when i see that i i just think you know yeah you know that's advertisement you know it's just it's advertisement to 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 put the message out there that it's okay it's like they want us to go into the liquor store and buy it they want us to drink i know i get it it's income for the government yeah just like cigarettes everything that's bad for us the government's making money off it um which again i i never understood that i mean here they are telling you you should quit but they're selling it to us it's just yeah you want to hear one you know, thing funny during <laughs> during the pandemic yeah liquor stores stayed open here yeah like, you know, 24 you, hours you know, yeah not 24 hours but you know there were certain places that were designated yep. like they needed them or whatever i forget what they called them yep. uh this i guess it was considered one of them because i remember passing the liquor store and it was open yeah right next to the supermarket yeah it's a necessity <laughs> it, it is absolutely insane yeah and, and i remember when the the pandemic first started happening you saw people stockpiling yeah 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 yeah, it's uh, definitely uh, it's a it's a necessity. That that was a good way of uh, of, um, of of proving that point. You know, we're in a yeah. pandemic and the liquor store is open, so you can't go anywhere, but you can go to the liquor store, no problem. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> we don't want people freaking out without their liquor. That's exactly what it is. Yeah, you know, and um, you know, and uh you know bad things can happen like as an addict like if you don't get your fix like it's it's bad like i know um the last the few weeks before i put myself in treatment like when i was waking up and starting with a beer like again that's like when i realized like i'm i'm, I'm screwed like i'm i'm like i am an addict um it's it's bad like you get the shakes uh, you're sick um the anxiety the anxious uh, the feeling of anxiousness um i remember uh, just going around my house, like walking around, like not really doing anything, but just pacing, trying to uh, put my head into something else. Right. So, and it wasn't working. I was like, what the hell's wrong with me? Like, I'm so anxious, the booze. And then I'd have a couple of drinks and then I'd be like, okay, I, I feel a little better now, but then I continue drinking the entire day till I went to bed. Right. It's just like, wow. Like it's, yeah, it ain't good. I don't wish addiction on anybody, any DOC, whether it's booze, um, you know, uh, whether it's booze, pills, whatever your DOC is. I don't, I don't, I don't wish, uh, I don't wish addiction on nobody. It, it really is a, a very hard thing to battle. And even when, even when you're done battling it, you're still not done. It's an ongoing battle for, for life. Like, like I know, even though I'm, I'm sober, like when I started talking to you here on this interview, I still wake up in the morning thinking, you know, how nice it would be to have a drink. And even periodically throughout the day, I'll, you know, I'll be doing something and I'm like, oh, you know, like I'm thinking about it and I'm like, man, like, you know, and then I go on to something else because the thought only lasts a couple of seconds, but it's just that initial thought. And you're like, yeah. Would you call it a craving? Do you, do you get any type of like 
physical response? Like your body says you want it or anything like that? No, it, it used to, uh, when I get anxious, but now it's just a mental thing, you know, like it'll just come to mind, um, you know, like how nice it'd be to have a drink or, um, you know, I'll be, uh, you know, I'll be, uh, outside on my, on my deck and my neighbors across from me, um, they're always drinking, always out there, you know, in the garage drinking, the neighbors are out drinking and in the summertime, um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be watching them and I'm like, yeah, look at old days. How how nice it would be to to do that, you know. And I'm like, I, I just I can't do that. Um, so what I did, um, I did come up with a solution. Um, now it's not for it's not for everyone. Um, so because I I have a landscaping company, I work outside, so I'm always outside in the heat. And one thing I always enjoyed was at the end of my day, you know, having a cold beer. So um, this, I guess, was probably my first test uh first big test uh to do on myself was i thought you know they have the non-alcoholic beer um and when i was in treatment talking with my uh counselor um i told him i said would it be okay if i you know drank the fake beer and he says it's all up to you he's like some people can do it um some people can't um he's like you know that's basically up to you so you know i kind of left it at that um so let's say uh I got out of treatment in February. So by summertime is when I first experiment, I did this experiment on myself. So I went to the LCBO, even though I, you know, while I was in treatment, I was talking to my, Hey, what's that? Liquor store. The LCBO, the LCBO here is the, the liquor store where you get okay. your, your booze and your, and your beer. So um, even though I was talking to my counselor in treatment saying, yeah, I would never do this. Um, I did. So I pulled into the LCBO parking lot. I was in my truck. I'm looking at it. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm going, I'm going in. I mean, I, I can't continue to have this fear. So I'm like, I'm, it's now or never. So I'm putting myself to the test. You know, it's been like five months sober. I'm, you know, let's see what happens. I took a big risk, obviously. I went into the liquor store. I'm looking at all the booze on the shelf. You know, everything's all nice and organized. I go to the back and I'm looking for the fake beer. I don't see it. So I asked the attendant working there. I'm like, do you sell fake beer? Like, like, you know, like 0%. They're like, well, we have this stuff. That's like 0.3. And I'm like, no, no, zero. Like I need 0% alcohol. And they were looking at me like I'm some weirdo. Like, why do you want fake stuff? So anyways, mm -hmm. I ended up getting some fake beer. Um, Heineken has a brand that's 0%. Um, so I found that I, I purchased it, had no problems, bought it, um, came home, put it in the fridge, you know, got a cold. My wife's like, you're really, you know, you're really doing this. I'm like, yeah, it's not alcohol. So, you know, I'll give it a shot. I mean, worst case scenario, obviously it's a, it's a pretty worst case scenario is becoming, you know, back into my addiction. Um, but I was okay. I had a couple of those beers. It went down nicely and I was on, you know, I was on my porch having cold beer, the, these 0% uh, Heineken's. And it was great. I was like, I was like, wow, like this kind of feels like, you know, what I'm missing. Um, and did I get addicted to the fake beer? No, I had a couple and that was it. And, and I'm fine. So, um, you know, like I said, not for everybody, um, but for me that works. So um, yeah. And I can do that anytime. Like if I, if I'm like, let's say, uh, around my neighbor, one of the guys at work and they're having their own beer, which doesn't bother me. Um, people have been able to drink in front of me. 
um, and I have no issues with it. I'll just pull up my zero percent, have one with them, and then I'm and then I'm done with it. So I've been able to do that. Um, but again, you know, for some people, they they probably wouldn't be able to do that. Um, you know, some prob- people would probably say, "Well, you're crazy to do that," but it's working for me. Um, and as long as that's working for me, I'm I'm okay with that. So, is it more of a habit that you're doing it, or did you actually like the taste of the beer? To be honest, I never liked I never liked the taste of beer. Yeah. I always I always I drink you know most beers and I'd be like, wow, this is like horse piss, <laughs> right? So yeah. uh, for me, uh, like when I decided to 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 to, to try the zero percent, it was just I guess to make myself kind of still feel like yeah you know it's cool I can still have a couple of beers and like I'm I'm normalized you know like I'm I'm like normal okay. I'm not an addict even though obviously I know I'm an addict. I think that's all that does for me is it makes me feel like I'm normal um, and I'm able and I'm able to do it. Like it, like I said, it's working for me, um, you know, and, and, but I'm not addicted to the, to the, to the zero percent, which was a fear I had, right. I thought, well, shit, if I start this, I may start drinking, you know, like bottle after bottle of the zero percent, but that it hasn't done that for me. Um, and again, I, I've had people, drink around me since uh since i uh became sober and i and i don't have a problem with it my friends will ask me out of respect they're like you know like they'll invite me uh over to their house with my wife you know for dinner and the first thing they say is like do you mind like is it gonna be a problem if we drink i'm like no not at all you know so they you know they take out their bottle of wine and they're drinking their wine in front of me and it doesn't bother me so for me that's a win because when I was in treatment, I did not think I'd be able to handle this, right? I thought, how's life going to be when I get out here? Like, am I, am I going to be able to sit down with people and, you know, have them drink in front of me and, and me be okay with it? I didn't think I could do it, but I'm doing it. Um, so I think that's a win for me. Like I said, it may not work for, for anybody else, but um, I'm thinking, like, because I'm able to do this now that I've come a long way um, in my treatment in my sobriety that if I'm able to do this I, I'm I'm pretty confident I can continue to do this um in the way that it's working for me basically right yeah. everybody has their own way of, of of doing things and dealing with it and for me it's it's working um and I definitely not going back to the booze man not at all not so at all I was just about to ask you what was your rehab stay like so like for me, when I first got there to give you an example, what I'm talking about, I wasn't sold, you know, I got there and I remember seeing 12 steps for the first time. And, you know, yeah. I said, I said, here goes the God shit. I go, here it comes. Cause I'm not religious. So I got a little yeah. fly. Yeah. Um, so I, I didn't know what to do. And I'm like, these people are going to be all religious and whatever. But then I read the AA book. Someone yeah. gave me a pocket sized copy. And there was so much that rang true to me. So my stay went from me not believing in shit to me believing, okay, you know what? If someone's written this book, obviously there's people who understand what I'm going through. And let me, let me kind of listen to these people. What, what yeah. was your, what was your mental state while you were in rehab? Um, when I first went in there, um, I wasn't scared. I was, I was a little skeptical, right? Um, I mean, I get, the place I went was was a nice place. So uh, my first 48 hours was in detox. I was in a room with, with another guy um, under under the watch of a nurse. 
um, I kept, you know, checking my blood pressure, that sort of thing. So I was two days in detox. And after that, put into general pop with other addicts. And this was a big place. There was basically about 30 of us there and mix, right? So you got the men and women together, um, obviously not <laughs> sleeping in the same rooms, separated, but we were together um, when it came down to having class and uh, doing reflections, that sort of thing. Um, so my mental state at first, again, I was skeptical. So, um, you know, and I'm not one to, um, like, I'm a very friendly person, but in that kind of s situation where I knew I was with other addicts, it kind of took me a little while to open up, right? So I started meeting people and I didn't want to get, um, I wasn't there to make friends. And the counselor even told me that, like, before he put me in general pop, he, he was telling me, like, um, you know, you're not here to make friends, even though you're going to make friends, but they're temporary friends, you know, like, so, you know, I'll leave, you know, leave that with you type of thing. Um, so um, it didn't take me long. I think my first week, it took me a, a week to kind of learn how things were going to go in that place. Um, you know, and then uh, I was on some kind of meds uh, when I got there. It was, um, it was just to, to handle my uh, anxiousness because, you know, I was still getting anxious, obviously no booze going into me. I was drying out. Um, but after three days of taking the pills, I had to stop uh, because it was actually kind of putting me to sleep. Um, and then I obviously went dry from the, from the meds. Um, but uh, after a week, I, I was in, I was in, I was in a state of, um, I guess, more control by myself. And I was kind of getting ready to do this right treatment so doing the uh the workbooks like there were six workbooks that we were given when we went in there um to learn about uh you know addiction treatment uh, the effects of alcohol what it does to your body and how to handle uh um you know your uh, your boundaries and that sort of thing so there was a lot of uh stuff to learn in book there um uh, but yeah after after a week i was kind of I was I was into it uh, you know but like I said the first couple of days very skeptical kind of not scared but just kind of like you know like what is this place you know like because uh, I used to hear a place like rehab and you know anytime you you know even today if you were to go out to tell to somebody be like yeah I gotta go to rehab you know most people are like rehab like what's wrong with you <laughs> you know yeah, yeah it's it's a, just, there's a stigma it's to of, it it's yeah it's it's stigmatized Right. But it's not like that. Like, you know, rehab is not what people think. It's it really is a place where you go to get better and you or and, and a place where you learn to get better, how to how to do good things for yourself that were there when you get out of, 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 uh, of treatment, um, when you're on your on your own. Um, you know, they give you the tools. So they load you up with the tools necessary to be able to, you know, uh, function um, you know, and, and live and live sober on the outside because inside it was very easy. Um, it was very easy. And they, they were telling us, like, you know, like, um, you know, you guys are doing well, you know, you're, you know, let's say you're, you know, you're two weeks in your sobriety. It's great. But they, uh, the counselors there, they kept telling us it's when you leave here. So once you leave and those gates close behind you, that's when the real battle starts because now you're out on your own you know you've got the ability to go to the liquor store or go see your dealer whatever it is that's when the, that's when the battle really starts is when you leave treatment um so at that part i was i was kind of afraid of 
right? Because I felt very comfortable in treatment, you know, nurses around me, um, people always around. So it felt very safe. Um, it's when I left, I was like, eh, you know, how's this going to go? But um, it worked out um, and, it, and it's fine. And I, uh, I basically, uh, when I was in there, I wrote the book, um, <laughs> this one here. So to my DOC, I wrote that when I was in treatment. And when I came out, I had it, uh, I got in contact with a, a publishing company and I had the book published. What's and, the book about? Uh, so to my DOC is an allegorical letter. So when I was in treatment, my counselor had asked me, says, what I want you to do is write a letter to your DOC. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, well, picture your DOC as a relationship because it really is right. It's a relationship, you and your drug or your, your bottle, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it, you know what I mean? It's your best friend. It's like your, your girlfriend, your, your boyfriend, whatever. Um, so he said, write me uh, a letter, uh, a breakup letter for your, to your DOC. And I was like, okay, you know, like, obviously I never did that before. So it took some, some, uh, a little while for me to try to wrap my head around it. And, and I did. So I wrote this book while I was in treatment. And then I was asked to present it uh, in reflections in the morning. So, you know, 30 people were all in a, in a circle and um, I was asked to read my, my letter. Uh, um, I was asked, I mean, I wasn't forced. So I thought like, hey, Jamie, do you mind? And I'm like, no, no, I'm, I want to do this. So I read this letter and I should, you know, after I read this letter, uh, we, there were people that were crying, like, you know, some of the other addicts with me. Some were crying. The men were, some of the men came over to me uh, hugging me. They're like, wow, man. They're like, that was powerful stuff. And I'm like, yeah. And then, you know, some of the other guys were like, you, you need to do something with that book. I'm like, well, what do you mean? He's like, you need to publish that. I'm like, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not a writer, man. Like I'm not a writer. Like I own a construction company. Right. Uh, but you know, sure enough, I got out of treatment and, and I stuck to my guns. I, I called the publishing company and I presented them my, my, uh, my letter is essentially what it is and I had to publish and it's been great. And then now I'm, I published my second book, which is the addicts in the shadows. Um, so this book here, that is a book of stories. So, you know, a story like mine or a story like yours, uh, multiple different stories of different addictions uh, from different people all around the world. Um, I've got 13 stories in, in total. Um, and they're, uh, they're in this book. My story is not in there yet. I'm working on, on my story, but Addicts in the Shadow is basically a book of a whole bunch of addiction stories and people's, how they, you know, started their, their lives of addiction and what they had to deal with and, you know, leading up to their, to their recovery. Um, so for me, part of my sobriety now is writing. Like I said, I, I'm not a writer, but I'm, I'm learning that for me, this is a, uh, it's, it's like my treatment. And at the same time, I'm giving back because I do want to help out other people. Um, I follow a lot of, uh, of groups, uh, you know, like, like the group that you have. And I, uh, anytime I, I see a, a pop-up from, you know, somebody that says, uh, you know, oh, I did this or I'm struggling with this and this, I, I comment right away and I, I, I give support any way I can whether it's a thumbs up or, you know, keep it going, you know, you got this. Um, I'm, I'm trying to help out as many people as I can uh, because honestly, I wish I had that help myself. 
when I was, uh, you know, going through my battle. So uh, for me, by me helping somebody, I'm helping myself as well. And it feels great. I mean, at the end of the day, when I know I, you know, let's uh, I told 30 people today, you can do this, you got this. It makes me feel really good. So. That's a great thing. That's a great thing. So yeah. about your book, yeah. where is it available? All over the world. <laughs> so either Amazon, um, Writers Republic is my publisher, but you can go to Amazon, you can go to Barnes and Noble. Um, both books are available also on my website, which is jdanielovich.ca. Um, you have the option to purchase my books on my website. I also have videos on my website where I'm reading a, a few pages from each of my books um, to kind of give people a sneak peek of, of what the book is about. Um, and I do have a lot of pictures there um, and other stuff that I that I share in regards to um, my recovery and, and, and what I've been kind of battling with on uh, my journey uh, in sobriety. So there's some other stuff on my website that's uh, kind of helpful for others to, to see. And, um, and I, I also started a group called uh, My DOC. Um, it's slowly growing, but um, in that group, it's kind of similar to what I do with my Facebook pages. Um, I'll put helpful information on there, whether that's motivational uh, videos, um, NA, uh, NA videos, you know, of, 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 you know, people, you know, telling their story. So I'm just kind of, you know, sharing information and, um, basically trying to get the message out there to as many people as, uh, as I can and help them out. If, uh, if I can, <clears throat> some people that, uh, that are following me or, or, or may like, um, you know, some of the comments that I make, um, I always tell me, you know what, thank you feel free to send me a message, you know, you know, whether that's, you know, it could be a thousand people in a group, whatever, it could be a 5,000 people in a group. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm there. And I always kind of throw myself out there. If, if you want to talk to somebody, shoot me a message, shoot me a private message. I'll talk to you. Um, you know, and I've been doing it since I got out of treatment. Sometimes I'm, you know, I'm sitting in my chair and my phone's like ding, ding. And I'll look, you know, Oh, uh, you know, a uh, uh, friend requests. So I look and, you know, I, I click on it and, you know, I don't know these people. And here we are, we're talking, they're telling me about stuff and, and I'm trying to help them out with, you know, what, what, you know, what, from what I experienced and, you know, and I basically, you know, try to help them out with what I did to help me, um, you know, whether or not I'm helping people, maybe I am, maybe I'm not, but I'm, I'm doing the best that I can to, to help somebody. That's it. You know, and again, it makes me feel great that, uh, somebody reached out and I was able to, you know, to help them out. You know, I think we all need it as addicts. We all need help. And that's what I like about these Facebook groups is that there's a lot of them and I'm in, I'm in all of them. I mean, probably a couple of hundred groups uh, that I follow. hundred. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I got them all. Like I got them all. Like when I found yours, I was like, nice. You know, I'm joining, I joined them all. And, uh, I get a lot of I get a lot of helpful information from them, and when I read up people's stories, because a lot of people do post their story on there, and I read through them, and I'm just like, wow, like I thought I had it bad. Um, no, I actually didn't have a bad at all, even though I did have a bad. It's just like there's always there's always a somebody always has it worse than you. It's it's crazy, you know, like yeah. It really is crazy. Like addiction is just, uh, 
it's un- it's unbelievable. It doesn't discriminate. It doesn't discriminate, right, at all. So, yeah, it's just it's just good to be alive. Let me tell you, it's just it's great to be alive. It really is. Yeah. I think that's a good place to end it. <clears throat> yeah. I think that's a great place to end it. So I want to thank you, dude. That was very cool. I really appreciate you sharing your story. And we had some different conversation there. It was great. It it was uh it was nice to to have me uh here. Um my story, like I obviously I gave you a kind of a a, a brief description of what it was. I'm actually in in the works of writing my story, um, which I'll have probably published in the next year or two, but um that'll be something. Uh, and I'm going to be as open as I can as I don't mind being open about it, uh, but that'll be my next project, uh, to do. And, uh, obviously you'll, you'll be one of the first ones to know, Jim, once that's, uh, that's absolutely that's, come back on and promote it. And also yeah. uh, I expect autographed copies of your books, but we'll talk about that after we're done recording. No, no problem. No problem with the pandemic, uh, basically being over. I'm looking forward to going out and, uh, kind of doing some, some, some signing for some folks, but, uh, uh, we'll see. I'll I'll let you know when when that time comes. You'll be able to kind of see uh, when uh, when that's going to be uh, going in, into effect. I look forward to it. And for you people that are happen to be watching or listening, do me a favor. Go below to the right hand side. You'll see our symbol or our logo. You can just click there to subscribe. Give us a like if you like what you saw today. Also check out our Facebook group under the events tab. You'll see we have plenty of events as far as Zoom meetings nightly. Um, 6.30 each night, we have a Zoom meeting. Also, check out the Facebook page, give us a like, and continue listening to our podcast and our YouTube videos. So that's it, and until next time.